I'm telling you, every time I hear that song, it gets better and better. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Zach Stevens. This is Josh Whitehead, uh, who's been uh, serving mom and dad as exec pastor for 20 years. And we just want to take a second. Um, yeah, you can give Josh some honor too. He's been helping hold mom and dad's arms up. But we want to take a second, and if you didn't notice, everybody on stage is wearing white shoes. Because we are making a commitment, not just to mom and dad, but also to the kingdom of God, that we're not done running. That we are just getting started. The best days of faith promise and the kingdom of God are ahead. And something that mom and dad want us to do is we are faithful with not just our time, not just our shoes, but also with our talent and with our treasure. And so some of the partners that dad has led, mom and dad have led us towards, we're seeing uh, the world one around the world. Yeah, such an amazing opportunity we have this weekend uh, just to celebrate a partnership that we have with an organization uh, that Pastor Chris and Michelle were a part of from the very beginning uh, called Equip. And it's, a, it's an organization that Dr. Maxwell started uh, literally in 1996 to make a difference in the world. And one of the reasons that we are so closely aligned with Equip is because they have the heartbeat that we have. Of, with, we want to reach 1% of the state of Tennessee and what that means. This year, Equip will celebrate 1 million people reached for Christ around the world. Amen. Would you give it up? Uh, just we're so grateful Amen. for Equip. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward right now. And if you would just make your way up, uh, we want to receive our offering in this moment during our service. And remember that when you give to Faith Promise, it doesn't just make this happen that you see. It literally fuels our partners who go around the world to take the message of Christ uh, to people who are far from God. And so as our ushers receive the offering, I'm just going to pray uh, that God would move in this moment. So, Father, would you move and equip. And uh, this Amen. year, God, I pray that one million would be the beginning. And just as we're praying, God, for 10,000 baptisms that will happen, we're praying equip would reach two million people for Christ in a shorter period of time. God, maybe the next five years, would you send the message of Christ around the world? And we're committed to fuel the gospel through our generosity. And we just come together to God say, thank you for giving us this chance. Multiply our gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're praying for some supernatural things to happen this weekend. Uh, not just in mom and dad and a milestone as we celebrate the testimony of life change and evangelism. Uh, but also we are praying that something supernatural happens in your heart. That there is a new found burden and desire to win your world, to go out and win people to Jesus, that there be more people saved and baptized Monday through Friday than on Sunday. And we have something amazing for us today. Uh, some of you guys know you haven't heard my dad's story, that he didn't have a biological dad to pour into him. And so you know what, whenever you create opportunity for God to move, he just moves. And, uh, and one of the coolest moments of my life, dad sent me to a conference uh, and John Maxwell, you may know John Maxwell as a leadership guru or as an author or something like that. But in a room that I did not belong in, he singles me out, me and Rachel, and say, this is my grandson. And I realized in that moment that the, some of the places where my dad didn't have a spiritual dad, John was busy. He had stuff going. He had books right, places to speak. But he took time for my mom and my dad. And we're here because of the investment 
of this man of God. Would you guys do me a favor and honor Dr. Maxwell as he comes up here to speak to us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning. My name is John and I'm your friend. On the count of three, give me your name. One, two, three. Nice to meet you. It's so good to be at Faith Promise. It's so great today to celebrate Christian Michelle's incredible ministry here in this church. I met Chris in 1991. We were in Houston. I was doing a conference. He found out about it. He was living in Texas at that time, and he came over with a couple of his businessmen friends. And we had a breakfast. Had a great breakfast with him. I mean, he was just young. He was full of energy. Had white tennis shoes on. And, and I, so we were wrapping up, and he asked me to pray for him. And I said, well, what do you want me to pray for you about? He said, "Help! I want you to pray that I'll build the, the greatest church since Pentecost, and I'm, I'm looking at this kid with more hair than he needs, and mustache a little longer than it should be. He wants to build the greatest church since Pentecost. I had my prayer partner, Bill Classen, with me. I looked at Bill and I said, that's a prayer, prayer worth praying for, and we prayed over him, laid hands on him that day, and he became, he became my son. And I have looked at Shell so much, and Chris as as my spiritual children, and I have to tell you, I'm incredibly proud of the two of you, and I'm incredibly proud of us coming to celebrate. And before I teach, I want us as a congregation to let these two incredible giants, these two incredible gifts of God to us, I want us to just let them know how much we love them, how much we have thanked God for them, and how much we appreciate them. God bless you. Cut it out, cut it out. I've got to speak now. Come on, you're coming into my time. You know, um, this celebration day and, and running the race, there's a passage of scripture that I want to read in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's all about the fact that when we're running this race, that the, there's a cloud of witnesses. There are men and women who have been so faithful so successful in running the race. And they're in the stands and they're cheering us on. And let's just, let's just read the passage for a moment. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. In other words, we better put our white tennis shoes on. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasite sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished his race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. 
because of that, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over this story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Let's get the picture. Men and women who have run the race are now in the stands and they're watching us. Now when we enter into the stadium and, and see these thousands of people cheering us on, we know that they're for us. We know that they're encouraging us. But we don't know what they're saying because one voice gets drowned in the voice of thousands. And I began to think when I looked at this passage years ago, what would happen if these great men and women one by one could come out of the stands and they could just run one lap with us. And in that one lap, it's not much time, but in that one lap, they could just kind of summarize what they had learned from God. They could summarize their life in, in one sentence that would kind of encourage us and, and lift us up. You know, there's a statement that is so true that people will summarize your life in one sentence. So pick it now. And we're going to listen to these men and women as they summarize their life in one sentence, but I want to give you a little assignment. Since this is such a special time for the church and such a special time for Chris and Michelle, I would like you to email the church this week, and I would like you in one sentence to describe what Chris and Michelle have meant to you. And, I, I, and we don't want paragraphs. We don't want stories. You don't need to write a book. Just one sentence. Just one sentence of, of, of how they have just added value to, to your life and life. So let's get going. Let's, let's bring a few out of the crowd. And the first person that we're going to bring out of the crowd is Noah. And if Noah stepped out of the stands and he could run one lap with you and me, I know what he would say to you. He would say to each one of us today, one person could make a difference. And that's a fact because you see in the beginning, after God had created man, man became very sinful, so sinful that God looked at man and he literally was sorry that he had made man. And he was thinking of destroying the earth. And he looked down and the Bible said, but Noah, one person, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, found favor in God. God looked at Noah and here was a good man, a righteous man. And because of Noah, he spared the world and did not destroy it. One person made a difference. And if Noah were here in the congregation today, he would say that one person can make a difference for their family because literally his family was saved and put in the ark with him. He could say one will make a difference for, for future generations because the world was spared. We're here today. We, we, we're alive. He, he, he would say, he would even say one person can change the heart of God because God who was so disappointed and and, and so close to destroying man, he looked down and, he, and he, saw, he saw, no, one person can make a difference. I've often said high morale is saying and having the ability to say I make a difference and low morale is saying I don't think I make a difference at all. If Noah were sitting where I am and he was doing the teaching right now, he would say you could make a difference for your family. You see, when you do the right thing, those who are closest to you benefit the most. Noah would say to you and me that you could, make a, you could make a difference for future generations because we're alive today because, think about it, if, if Noah wouldn't have found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord, 
We, the, humankind would be destroyed. We, we, we wouldn't even be here. Think about it. You've, I'll bet you never had this thought before. You and I are here today because of Noah. <laughs> I don't know, but when you do your prayers tonight and you finish praying for all the stuff that you pray for, why don't you put a P.S. on the end of your prayer and say, hey, God, by the way, <laughs> thanks for Noah. Man, I, I'm hanging around because, because he made a difference for me. He made a, he made a difference for God. He, and by the way, if Noah were here, he would say that you can make a, a difference for, for God at any age. Because when this happened, Noah was 120. So if you're, uh, let me just I make sure what my crowd is. How many of you would be under 120? Oh, okay, okay, then, then, then look at your neighbor and say, it's not too late. You can make a difference. Go ahead and tell them that. Wow, you, you, you can make a difference. And, and Noah would say things like this. He would say to us, don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd because he stood out. I mean, he was different than everybody else. They, in fact, they laughed at him. They scoffed at him. And, and Noah would say, you know, difference makers are just different. That's who they are. And, and if Noah were here, he'd be talking to you and me, and he'd say, don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Because he was building that ark on dry ground. It had never rained in the history of the world. And when people saw him building that ark on dry ground, they said, well, you, you, you don't even have a place to float the boat. And he, he would say, don't, don't be afraid to, to do something for the very first time. And, and, and when you see that rainbow, understand that, that you can make a difference. Noah would just say one person make a difference. It's a beautiful, beautiful, encouraging thought. Now let's bring another person out of the crowd. Let, let's bring, let's bring Rebecca. If Rebecca could run one lap with you and me today, what she would say is serve others generously. In other words, Live a, live a generous life. Be generous with your time. Be, be, give more than you receive. That, that's what she would say. Now here's the story. Abraham was very, very wealthy. He had a, his most trusted servant. He called him in one day and said, I want you to go back to my homeland, and I want you to, I want you to find a bride for my son Isaac. And immediately his most trusted servant knew that of all the missions he'd ever been on, this was the most important mission. This was really big. So he gave him ten camels, loaded them up with gifts to whoever this, this potential bride would be, and he said, go to the homeland. And so now the servant Abraham, he's, he's going to Abraham's homeland, and he's very concerned because he knows this is an important mission. He doesn't want to blow this one. So he starts to talk to God, and he starts to kind of like, I, I got to know who the girl's going to be. So he kind of does a little fleece deal. He said, I'll tell you what, God. When I get to the town, and I'll go to the well where the, where the young women come in the evening to draw water for, water for the family at night. He said, when I come to the well, he said, may I, if, if I ask one of the young ladies to give me a drink of water, may she, may she give me a drink of water. And that was kind of like his prayer. And when I saw that, I thought, that's kind of a puny, weak prayer. I mean, if I ask her for water, may she give me a drink of water? Well, I mean, what are the odds of that? Most, I mean, most people would say, sure, you can have a drink of water. And I thought, that wasn't, that wasn't any big prayer. But then he said, and may she offer 
to give my camels water also. Now, he just got a big present because he has 10 camels. Get the picture? 10 camels. After, an, after a day's journey, a camel will drink 20 gallons of water. Hmm? Are, are you okay? Did you do okay in math or do I need to help you? 20 gallons of water. Which, which, which now, now, so, so there are 10 of them, so now we're up to 200 gallons of water. 200. So she's to give this stranger, she doesn't know, a, a drink. And after that, she's to look at the camels and say, could I give your water, camels water to drink also? 200 gallons of water. Now, I, I don't know what size the jug was. I know this. It was in the evening, so women were coming around the well. So she'd have to wait her turn to put her jug down in the water. But it's, it can't be any more than five gallons. So now she's got a five-gallon jug, and she's got to get 200 gallons, and she's got to go from the well to the watering place to the well to the watering place to the well to the water place. And it's got to take her at least three minutes for each trip. It has to. I mean, she's got to go to the well, get, wait her turn, get the water, go over there. So if, if it's three minutes each and you've got 200 gallons, that's 40 trips. Now, now we're looking, we're looking at two hours. For two hours, this lady who doesn't even know this stranger says, yeah, here, here, ha, here, here, have a bottle of water. Good to enjoy. And, and by the way, I'll give, your, I'll give your camels water to drink also. She's going to spend the next two hours going from the well to the watering trough to the well to the watering trough. And here's what's incredible. It says that as she's doing this now, that the servant of Abraham, catch this, don't miss this, that the servant of Abraham said nothing. Get the picture. For two hours, she's drawing water for his camels, and he's leaning up against a tree. Really? Really? I have to say, if she was doing this for me, I would, after 15 minutes, give her a little encouragement. Yeah. Yes. I would lean in and say, Have you ever read the Maxwell Leadership Bible? Becky, you're doing good. You're just doing good. Keep it up. Keep it I would. I would have started for two hours. I would have been encouraged. He never said one thing to her until she was finished. And so let me give you now the Rebecca principle, which is very simple. Rebecca says, I'll do what you ask me to do, and then I'm going to do something more. In other words, she lived this incredible, generous life. And what Rebecca would be saying to all of us today, exceed expectations. You see, she was meeting expectations when she gave the servant the drink. But she exceeded when she said, hey, let me do, the, let me do this for your camels. This is so huge. If we as people of faith would just in the workplace not only meet expectations, but exceed expectations. It would be such a beautiful salt and light experience. It, we, we, would, we would make things better. We'd make things brighter. If we just kind of lived with this Rebecca mindset of I'm going to be very generous. I'm always going to give more than I receive. I'm, I'm going to always serve 
more than asked to be served. I do a lot of speaking for companies and do a lot of leadership training. And usually a few weeks before, I'll, I'll have a 30-minute call with whoever is bringing me in to speak to wherever, whoever it is. And in the, in the phone conversation, I'm wanting to find out what their expectations are. I say, now, what do you expect of me? And, and they'll tell me, and I'm writing things down, all the expectations. And when I'm off that phone call, whatever their expectations were, don't miss this. That's the floor. This is where I begin. It isn't where I end. Meeting expectations is the beginning spot. It's, it's, it's the floor. It's, it's what I stand on. And then I say, now, how can I exceed those expectations? How can I do more for them than they ever would ever imagine? How can I say something that would be far beyond? And how can I exceed their expectations? And, and the exceeding expectations is the ceiling. And I always go for the ceiling because I've learned the Rebecca principle. And the Rebecca principle is just huge. And, and if Rebecca was sitting there in the seat right beside you, she'd be saying things like this. When you, when you, when you give extra efforts automatically extra blessings come to you. This is huge. Now, she didn't know that those camels, those 10 camels she was given water to drink, she didn't know those camels had all kind of gifts for her and for her family. She had no idea. She didn't think she was going to get anything. This was just a stranger. He had water that he needed to drink. The camels needed water. For two hours, she's just giving, giving. She's expecting nothing in return. Now, you see, there's a whole bunch of young ladies around the well, but she's getting out of the people pile. And you get out of the people pile, not when you meet expectations. You get out of the people pile when you exceed, when your life, what you say, what you do exceeds. That's, that's when you set yourself apart. She set herself apart by saying, oh, let me also give your camels water to drink. And, and the servant, he's going, oh, my gosh, this is huge. This is exactly what. In a culture that wants instant gratification, in a culture that says, what's in it for me? The Rebecca principle is huge. You see, if you'll look at history, history is marked by people that exceeded expectations. It is marked by people who did more than what was expected. I mean, just think about it for a moment. What would have happened if Michelangelo would have just say, oh, I don't do ceilings. It's awful high up there. I don't, I don't do ceilings. What would have happened if Noah would have said, I don't do boats? What would have happened if Moses would say, I don't do rivers? What would have happened if David would have said, I don't do giants? What would have happened if Mary, when the angel came, told her that she was going to be the mother of the Christ? What, what would have happened if Mary would have looked at the angel and said, whoa, 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 excuse me, excuse me. This is a little bit more than I would expect. I, I don't do virgin births. What would happen if John the Baptist would say, I don't do baptisms? What would happen if Peter would say, I don't do Gentiles? I'm glad Peter didn't say that. I'm a Gentile. What would happen if Paul would have said, I, 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 I don't do letters? And hey, what would have happened if Jesus would have said, hey, wait a minute, I, I don't do crosses? You see, everything that is beneficial in our life is because somebody exceeded expectations. And it all began with the Rebecca principle. And because Rebecca gave more than she was asked to give, 
She received more than she ever would have expected to receive. That's exactly what happens. This is huge. After she watered the camels, the servant of Abraham, they all went over there. My gosh. They went over to her house. And those camels she just gave water had all kind of gifts. And they went in the house and they had Christmas. They did. I mean, they they got all kind of gifts. Way to go, Becky. Little did she know because she was generous that she would become the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She didn't know. There's two kinds of people on earth today, just two kinds of people. Not, no more, I say. Not, not the good and the bad, for it's well understood. The good are half bad and the bad are half good. No, there's two kinds of people in a life, I mean. It's the people who lift and it's the people who lean. You're either a plus in people's life or a minus. You're like an elevator. You're either bringing people up to a higher level or when they get on your elevator, there's only one number to push, and it starts with the letter B. Basement. Rebecca says, live life big. Live it generously. Give more, serve more than you would ever expect. Let's bring someone else out to pray. Let's bring Esther. As Esther starts to run one lap with you, she looks at us and she has this, this very simple sentence. God has a place for you. God has a place for me. And, and the person that's saying God has a place for you, you have to understand. All her life, she felt out of place. When she was very young, her parents died, and so she was adopted. She's out of place. As she was young, her, her country was taken captive, and they had to go to a strange land with a strange king and with strange customs and a strange culture. She felt out of place. Re Esther always felt out of place. She, she, she really never quite got home. She never quite connected. She, she never just felt that she had found her place, her purpose in life. She was a teenager. Her and her friends one day were down at the mall. Do you ever read the Bible with any creativity at all? And, and, and they saw a poster that the king was having a beauty contest. And what was amazing about this beauty contest is whoever won the beauty contest would become the queen. And they were sitting around, and her friend said, Esther, you're beautiful. Get in the contest. Come on. And they grabbed a foreman. Before she knew it, they had enlisted her. She got in the beauty contest, and she won it. She won the beauty contest, and all of a sudden, she's the queen. Now, you talk about feeling out of place. She's just a simple girl in a strange land, and now all of a sudden, she has servants. She has a palace. She's walking around on in guards. She, she, you talk about being, now she's saying, 
I'm not only out of my place, I'm over my head. She's overwhelmed. But what she doesn't know is that God has always had a place for her. And that in his timing, at his will, he's going to take her and put her right where she needs to be. She has no idea that there is a scheme in the land to literally kill all the Jewish people. She has no idea that her people, her, they're going to be destroyed. Her uncle Mordecai, now that she's queen, he begins to unfold the story to her. And she's resistant to see the king because you can't see the king unless the king invites you into his presence. He's got to extend the scepter to you. You don't just go say, hey, king, by the way, I was in the neighborhood. And for 30 days, he had never asked her to be in his presence. And now Uncle Mordecai said, you got to see the king. you got to tell him about this plan to destroy the Jews. He doesn't, he doesn't realize the ramifications. And she's pushing back. She says, yeah, I, I'm kind of new at this queen stuff. And he, he asked and asked me to see him for 30 days. And I, I don't think I could do it. And then he comes back and he tells her the whole story. And then he says to her, Esther, who knows? But that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And the mo at that moment, she realizes that all these years that she's fell out of place, all of a sudden she's in the right place and God has ordained it. And it, and it, it takes the questions out of her mind and fills her heart with conviction. And she said, I'm going to go see the king. And if he doesn't extend, if, if I perish, I perish. But I, I, I'm, going, I'm going to go see him. Esther that day realized that God had a place for her. And if Esther were in the auditorium today, she'd say, for a period of time, you may not understand God's working in your life, but he has a place for you. You see, we can always connect the dots looking backward, but we can't connect them looking forward. That's why in a Christian's life, obedience is so essential. Obedience is never understood on the front end. When God asks us to do something, I mean, how many of you had God say something to you and it was just weird? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're saying, well, hold on, hold on, God, you know. I, I'm going to have to explain a couple things to you because you don't understand. Obedience is only understood on the back end. It's trust on the front end. It's obedience. When Jesus performed the, the miracle of turning the water into wine, and he said, you know, told the servants, fill those, fill those pots with water. They filled them with water. And then he said, now take it to the master. Now, the master's looking for wine, not water. And the servants are picking up the pots and they're going down the hallway. And they got water in the pots and he's looking for wine. And the servants are saying to each other, this is the last day we work here. We're about to be fired. They bring in the pots. He tasted. He said, "Oh, this is the finest wine of all." He said, "I'm shocked. How did he?" The Bible said he didn't understand what happened, but it says the servants knew. Of course, the servants knew. The servants knew because they were an act of obedience. You always know when you're obedient, and you never know when you don't trust him. So Esther would say to every one of you today, God has a place for you. You maybe aren't in the place yet, but God has a place for you. And when you find that place, you'll say, there's no place like this place. 
anywhere near this place. So this must be the place. I have time to bring one more. One more out of the crowd. There's so many. Oh my. Who shall I bring out? Let's bring out David. How many of you vote for David? David okay? David, or look at your neighbor and say David works. Go ahead and tell David works. You see, if David, if David came out of the crowd and could one run, run one lap with you, I know exactly what he would say to you. He would look at you and in his running that track one time with you, he would say, you can overcome the limitations that others put on you. Oh, yeah, fasten your seatbelt. This great, the greatest king of Israel as a young man, as a child, was faced with severe limitations that other people placed on him. No one ever thought he would ever amount to anything. In fact, here's the story. Samuel was the prophet of Israel. One day, he called Jesse, the father of David and the other sons, he called him on the phone. and Jesse picked up the phone and, hey, this is Sam. Sam, oh my gosh. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. I got good news for you. God talked to me. One of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. You're kidding me? No, no. I'm coming over to the house tomorrow. Get the boys ready. Get them lined up. I got to see them all. Got to check them out. One of them is going to be the next king of Israel. I'm telling you, Jesse hung up that phone. And he, get, he called his wife and they sat around the table. He said, Sam just called. One of our boys is going to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine? One of our boys is going to be the king of Israel. And then they played the parent thing. Come on, get your parent hat on. They began to ask themselves the question every parent would ask. Which one? Yeah. Which one will it be? I, I think Jesse said, well, I think it will be the oldest son because in our culture, the oldest son kind of gets everything. And I think Jesse's wife said, nah, nah, I don't think it will be the oldest boy. Well, who do you think it'd be? I think it's going to be the fourth son down. Now, why do you think it's going to be him? Well, think about it. Ever since he's born, he's acted like the king. He's always telling us what to do. He just, he just, he just runs everything. He, he just, he's, he's got, he's just a huge. He's just a leader. It's, it's going to be the fourth son down all night long. They didn't sleep much that night. The next day, Sam's coming to the house, and one of their boys is going to be the king. And the next day, he's got the boys lined up. They got their suits on. Sam walks in, looks at the line, checks them all out. Then he looks at David and says, David. Or he looks at Jesse and says, Jesse, none of these boys are going to be the king. Do you have any other boys? And then Jesse realized the only son that he thought was not king material was out in the field watching the sheep, bringing in. By the way, if you're David, you know what's happening in the house. You know that Sam's coming, and you know there's going to be a king that's going to be anointed, and you know that your dad and your mom didn't think that you would be the king. He's already got people putting limitations on him. Well, David comes in the house. He looks at David. You know the story. He becomes the king. But, but see, that wasn't the first time or the last time that he had people outside of himself put limitations on him. Because a few, a few years later, 
the army of Israel is fighting the Philistines, and, and his dad called David and said, David, your brothers are in the war. Take some food to them and come back and tell me what's happening. So, I mean, David's all excited. My gosh, I get to go down and see a battle. Oh, this is more than any kid could ask. And he runs down, and he's all eager. And when his brothers come, they say, what are you doing here? This, this is a war going on here. This is for soldiers. You, you, need, to, you need to go back and watch the sheep. And, and David kind of looked around, and he said, well, I, I don't see any battle. Doesn't seem to be a battle at all. I don't see anybody fighting. And then he discovered the reason why anybody fighting is because the Philistines had a real big boy, a giant, called Shaq Goliath. <laughs> Shaq Goliath would come out every day, and he would taunt the army of Israel, say, if any one of you want to take me one-on-one, -on -one, whoever wins is going to win the entire battle. And, and all the soldiers of Israel, the army, they'd go run back in their tents. They were, and, and David's kind of hanging around, and he's just saying, I, I can't quite figure out the battle strategy here. Nobody's fighting anything. And then somebody told him, you know, if you take on the big boy, you get to marry the king's daughter. Well, he said, that's a good idea. And then he said, if you take on the big boy and win, you live tax-free in the land. And David said, I volunteer. So they went to Saul. King Saul, we have good news, we have bad news. The good news is we have a volunteer to take on Shaq, Goliath. The bad news is the kid right outside your tent. He goes out and looks at David. He's five foot five. He weighs 145. Saul tries to talk him out of it. He says, this is not a good deal at all. We're going we're gonna to lose. And he can't talk him out of it. And so then he says, well, here, let me give you my armor. Now get the picture. Saul's six foot five, weighs two forty five. David's one five five, weighs one forty five. He puts on Saul. He can't even see out of it. He's staggering. He can't even climb a hill. He can't even fight Goliath. He said, "Get this stuff off of me." Someone asked me one time, "Why do you think that Saul was willing to give David his armor?" I said, "It's very obvious to me. Saul wasn't going to use it." You know the story. Grabs five stones, got his slingshot, grabbed five stones because Goliath had brothers. He thought he might have to take them all off. Went up and charged the hill. Now Goliath, he's disgusted. He sees this kid coming up. He's cursing. He's so mad. He said, what are they doing? They're mocking here. You see, nobody, nobody ever looked at, nobody ever looked at David and thought that he was Warrior material, king material. They, 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 they never saw his potential. And if David could run one lap with you, he'd just look at you and say, don't, don't, hey, don't let other people, don't let other people put their limitations on you. Now I got to tell you, this is a special day. I got to bring two more people out of the stand. I got to bring Chris and Michelle out of the stands. I just. Wow. Yes, I do. I, I got to bring them in out. And, and I, I, they got to go run a lap with you. And I know what they would say to you because I called him yesterday. I said, Chris, Michelle, if you could run one lap with your congregation, what would you say to them? And what they said was so beautiful. They said, well, if we could only run one lap, what we would say to you is being your pastor 
has been the greatest privilege of our lives. And in many ways, it's difficult to leave this lap. Of course it's difficult. For 20 plus years they've been with you, your home, your family. In many ways, it's difficult to leave this lap. But then they said, but we have no doubt the best is yet to come. And when they said that to me, I thought of the statement I teach on often. You don't leave something, you always go to something. And it is difficult to leave the lap. Because this is what they know. This is the congregation they've this, these, the, Your family, of course it's, it's difficult. But then Chris, typical Chris, I said, you could only say one thing. You could only run one lap. And Chris says, well, John, I, I want to run two laps. Chris, you've always been that way. You asked me to pray that you'd build the greatest church since Pentecost. You have always been quite greedy, son. <laughs> you just really have. You just, you know, it's, you just ha- it's just you and... I, I recognize as a father, and, and I love every bit of it. I love every bit of it. Because you're greedy for God. You're greedy for the kingdom. I, I, I love it. And, and so, so I said, okay, you can run two laps. That is totally unbiblical, folks. This is totally unbiblical to run two laps with you. But on that next lap, he said, I want you to tell the people. Here's what I want to tell them. God is opening new doors for us to add value to people globally. And then he said, I love these, this phrase, it's exciting and it's scary. Of course it's scary. You've never been here before. You're going to a place where you've never been. You're going higher than you've ever gone. But let me tell you, you're over your head. We all know that. But listen to me, Chris. When you're over your head, it doesn't matter how deep the water is. You're just over your head, buddy. So swim deep. Go into the ocean. Don't go in some little creek in Tennessee. Dive deep. Go deep. And then he said, what we want to say on that second lap is your prayers, your love and support will enable us to extend the heart and expand the heart of the ministry around the world. And I just love that because now the voice that you have got to hear weekly It's going to be a voice that people hear around the world. It's going to be the spirit of faith promise. It's going to be the voice of growth and evangelism and life change. And they're going to be mentoring pastors and they're going to be teaching leaders. They're going to be helping us at equipping our organization. In other words, Chris and Michelle are your ambassadors. So you could say we, we, we have a we have Zach's the lead pastor, but we also have ambassadors in our church. We have ambassadors that go around the world and then look at their church and say, Do you have ambassadors? This is special. You're sending them out to do a work that they couldn't do if they had to be just confined every week here. And it's only appropriate to wrap up the message and our time together by asking Chris and Michelle and Faith and the boys and their family to come on up here. And, and, and we're just going to lay hands on and we're going to pray over them. We're going we're to give them a goodwill ambassador prayer. How's that sound, huh? And so just stand with me, will you? Let's give them a hand as they're coming up here. Come on, give them a hand. Here they are. One more time. I love you. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. 
Oh, we got Pastor Tom, Coach Tom Mullins up here. Come on up here, Tom. Tom's like the coach to all of us. He's Oh, how, what, how wonderful it is to have him join us for prayer. Now, congregation, extend your hands out to him right now. Let's get our hands out. Let's, we're going we're, we're to extend our hands out and pray for him. And, and, and before we close our eyes in prayer, Chris and Michelle, look at all these hands. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hands. And I want you to see those hands because sometimes you're going to be over your head. Sometimes it's going to be that the hill's going to be a little harder to climb. It's going to get a little scary. And I want you to see those hands because you're not alone. Amen? Amen. You're not alone. You're not alone. It's awful hard to extend your hand and clap at the same time, isn't it? Huh? So be, just one more time. One more time. Clap and just let them. You're not alone. You're not alone, Chris. You're not alone, buddy. Mm. Not alone. Not alone. Come on, coach, lay hands on him. Shoot, they'll get a double portion now. Father, thank you so much for Chris, Michelle, their children, their grandchildren. What a beautiful, I mean, what a beautiful family. A blessed family. A God-called family. We lay hands on them now. We ask that you would give them favor with people that they don't even yet know. We're going to ask that you would give them anointing for the ministry you've called them for. We're going to ask that you give them wisdom beyond their mind and their humanness. A spiritual wisdom that gives liberally to those that ask. We're going to ask that you do exceeding abundantly. More than we could ever ask or more than we could ever think. May whatever their dreams are, be bigger than the dreams. Be beyond anything that they could imagine. We're just praying right now an anointing and a covering on this couple and this ministry in the days ahead. And may we love them, support them, lift them up. May they stand on our shoulders and may they know they're not in this race alone. We're running it with them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on. Give it up for your, for your ambassadors. How beautiful.